Hey, Dreamstream listeners. This is our podcast, and I am our host, Yiska Cook, here with our fellow dream worker slash friend, Brendan Merritt. Hey, Brendan. How are you doing? Doing good. Oh, can you can you speak louder? I will try. Is that loud enough? I think so. I will make my volume louder. Yeah, so nice to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. I did a Zoom dream group with Ooh. Miriam's Well Dreamers. Um, so it's Susan Rosen of Miriam's Well now has ongoing dream groups on Zoom. And it was cool. it was so fulfilling. I felt like, oh, I haven't felt this alive in weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, really a couple good. of people from the uh, Mutual Aid uh, Mid-Hudson Valley Herbalist group are also doing an online dream group, which I considered checking out. Yeah. I forget what the young woman's name is who's doing it. It sounds like they're using uh, Jeremy Taylor's format. So. That's wonderful. Well, that's what, and that's what they use at Miriam's Well. Yep. Um, yeah. So it was really so good for me. I, I guess I really had a hole in my, in my life because I hadn't been doing group dream work. Though I love the one-on-one also, don't get me wrong. I think uh, paying attention to our dreams and unpacking them for their significance uh, really helps a person along her life. But uh, there's something to be said about a group of people working on the same images who get different associations and it's such a rich experience. Yeah, I think it definitely brings out a lot more layers when you have more people. Yes. And the other thing I always found really intriguing was like if you're working with the same group of people for an extended period, people's uh, symbol libraries start to cross. Yes. Sometimes you'll see uh, dreamers who are in the same dream group dreaming similar things or similar themes will pop up over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's like a group mind almost. Yes. We had something like that today. We had two different dreams from two different dreamers and then by the end, we're all offering, you know, our projections. If it were my dream, I might think X, Y, Z. By the end, we realized we were working the two dreams simultaneously and as if they were one story. Mm. So, and that was extraordinary. And this is the type of group you're describing. They've, we, they have been meeting together for many years now and, uh, it's right. Remember, do you remember in Dr. Larson's group, uh, there was a couple of times that there was a theme. I think once it was fire, many people were dreaming about the element of fire in different in different ways, different permutations. And uh, what was another one? I don't know, but those things. I remember being a, a city theme at one point. Yeah. Something okay. About Atlantis. Right. Like oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Remember Robin, like, kind of drawing it all together. Yeah. At the end with her poem, which she, you know, used bits and pieces of everybody's dreams. Yes. This one picture. 
that's why I think I think a creative process after working a dream is such a gift to both oneself and to the dreamer and to the group, presumably. You know, but uh, that's why I love taking the last five, 10 minutes of a group to write a spontaneous poem. That's what we used to do in Dr. Larson's group. And I always thought that was an awesome thing to do with dreams. Yeah, I that, mean, yeah. personally, I've always been inspired by the Surrealist movement. And, yes. Um, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about some of the techniques that they use in the creative process because surrealism intentionally, you know, drew from dream imagery. And I'm wondering if they actually consciously did any dream work to get themselves into the yeah. flow. I wonder, that's really interesting. So have you been dreaming and recalling your dreams, Brendan? Yeah, I've been having um, a reoccurring theme lately uh, has been meeting with people in community. Um, like I've had a couple of different dreams where it seems like there's a party or a collective event happening, um, which, you know, during the whole quarantine, we haven't really had a lot of stuff like that to attend or go to. So it might just partially be that I'm craving that. Um, I know that I'm craving community. Um, I recently had to leave an online community I was participating in because of not anything I did per se, but one of the people who was in charge of the group um, did some stuff that was personally questionable and some of us questioned it and by you know, bringing it to the attention of others, we were decided to be detrimental mm. to the group. Okay. Moved. Um, we don't remember how to be a group of people together anymore. <laughs> we don't well, remember. I, mean, I think we do, but I think some people- I don't know if I do. Are short-sighted in what that means. I mean, they're, you know, they're still, so much in survival mode right now yes um that it's hard to think of the collective good yes 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 so and then what happens i'm at a party um i'm usually encountering people who i know who i haven't seen in a very long time <clears throat> um one that stuck out to me it was like a second dream after a previous one with a party going on and what was really strange in this dream is that there were people in the dream dressed in like I don't know 17th century clothing okay full on like curly Louis the 14th wig yes you know white face and they're men with their lips done up yes all dressed as like total pops and speaking like this, yes. and, and it was weird because it was like, in the dream, these people were like landlords and business owners. It was as if there was like this very clear class distinction between uh. the owners and 
the non-owners. I don't even know. The peasants. Proletariat, yeah. And uh, it was, I still don't know what that was all about. <clears throat> yes. So. It was kind of like a potluck happening. And like, you know, then there's these, you know, lords and ladies walking around on the lawn as well. Does the dreamer remember any of the foods that were at the potluck? Finger foods, yeah. Um, I can remember people passing around platters with like hors d'oeuvres. Um, it wasn't like, you know, pots of stuff or anything. It was right. literally like snacky food. Yes. And it seemed to be summer. Um, people were outdoors and I remember there being lawn chairs. Did women have parasails? <laughs> uh, I don't remember specifically seeing women, but I, I kind okay. of oh, like, right. feel like they were there. Yes, um, you're describing but, men. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if there were consorts to these yes. you know, lords, um, yes. they would probably have parasails. I, I think they might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why yeah, this dream looks like a painting. Ago, we were talking about Mel Brooks. <laughs> yes. You know, last time we were here. And that whole scene that they did of the French Revolution. Yes. It was very much like that. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And I think some of that's day residue. Um, there's a local community food bank that offers up, has like a free refrigerator and hmm. cupboard for people to take whatever they want but it's almost always like stocked with bread, like huge amounts of bread. Uh, and I, you know, it makes me think like, oh, let them eat bread. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Which, uh, I guess when Marie Antoinette made the famous quote, let them eat cake, cake. she wasn't actually talking about baked goods, that sort of cake. It's actually the word uh, that refers to the stuff from my pot of porridge that sticks to the edge. Oh, oh. A really yeah. nasty, like, uh -huh. bits of porridge. So yes. that was even nastier. Yes. You know, what we've come to know it to be. Okay, now I have to think of a line from Mel Brooks because I did Monty Python last. Piss boy. Piss boy. Come here, piss boy. <laughs> It's good to be the king. Uh, it's good to be the king. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I, I'm trying to understand. So are you sharing a dream from within a dream? There's kind of a. Um, I felt like there were two dreams that bled together. The first okay. dream, I was, it was definitely a party. That one was inside. Okay. And I was with a whole bunch of people from the Earth Spirit community. Okay. which is um, a group of people in Western Mass who, you know, kind of under the umbrella organization are involved in earth-based spirituality of a variety of flavors. And um, I don't think they're doing it this year, but every winter they do a really lovely um, thing around um, Candlemass, like February 1st that yes. day. St. Bridget's Day called, um, what is it called? Oh, the Feast of Lights, sorry. Mm. And they do this incredible pageant 
um, with dramatic reenactments. But I think like part of my craving for community is related to that um, because the community I was removed from did have a spiritual side to it. Um, so that's something I am definitely missing. Um, yes. So other than having all that brought to my attention, um, plus this underlying dialogue of like class divide. Um, yeah, that's two, two of the big elements going on in uh, mm -hmm. dreams. But one of the weird things in the first dream. Yes. Um, was that it was all people who I hadn't seen in a really long time. And two of the people in the dream were our brothers. In real life, they are brothers and they're actually identical twins. <clears throat> um, they're both like six foot tall guys with tattoos and mohawks and pretty impressive guys. But in my dream, they didn't look like bookends like they do more so in real life. Okay. It was really obvious, like in a way that hadn't been obvious to me in real life, that they were very different people. Yes. So that was kind of interesting. Very interesting. Yes. So if this were my dream, and this is a little out of order, because Dr. Larson would say, get the associations first. However, in the Jeremy Taylor circles, we do start with projection. It's a different angle of doing the dream work. Um, for me, it's seeming to be a lot about individuality. You know, how, how you know, my, uh, my, what did you call it? My cast, you know, what, what does that mean to me in my modern life as an American? what is my caste, what's, what's, where do I belong? But, um, you know, if I wanna break out of my caste, I have the opportunity to do so in this country. Yeah. So what does caste mean to you, Brendan? Uh, caste? Caste. Um. See, I don't think we have, we don't have that kind of system no. in this country at all. Um, what I know about the caste system as it exists in India um, has a really old historical basis. Hmm. And, um, they divide up society into three castes. There are the untouchables. Um, and there's the priest class, and then there's the ruling class. And what is interesting is that sometimes there's some crossover between the upper classes, but the third class is actually kind of, you know, generic every day, but then the untouchables are people even lower than that, where nobody can even associate with them. Um, It makes me think, I don't think of it as caste in the dreams though, but definitely class. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's more like, it's interesting what you said about trying to find my place because in the dream with the 
foppish landlord types, I'm being social with them and in almost in a way of trying to fit in with them. And I'm actually aware of that in the dream that I'm like trying to make nice. Yes. Yes. Part of me is still sort of disgusted at who they are. Um, Yes. Yeah. And it's what I think that there's a certain part of me in real life that tries to balance that because there's a part of me that's like Viva la revolution and yes really just wants to overthrow the ruling class yes Um, but being a white male coming from a relatively privileged household I really understand the benefits of good education health care all the stuff that you know I've had available to me that a lot of people don't. And still, it's interesting because literally, like, I feel like I'm on the knife's edge. Like, you know, miss one or two paychecks, boom, I'm right at the bottom. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, I mean, when you were saying we don't really have a a caste system, and I guess it's not really a caste system in America, but there is a class system. I mean, there's there's the 1% or like the 10%, you know, there's, there really is a difference. Yeah, and it's different than like the class system in Europe because, you know, in England, even, I mean, the people who are upper class are usually, you know, people from noble blood and you can't right. buy that you know that's not something you can work your way into except maybe by marriage <clears throat> but you know even then like you know let's look at you know the recent uh, debacle with meg and uh, <clears throat> william is really i mean she harry was, harry sorry i can <laughs> i don't really keep up on the royals <laughs> but you know, she was never really accepted by the royal family from what I can tell, you know, because of her upbringing and lack of royal blood and possibly her color, you know. And her nationality, possibly. Yep. <clears throat> yes. I'm sorry, I have a little tickle in my throat. You got a frog. I'm just going to cough a moment, okay. yeah so i mean it's interesting i guess the socio-economical bit of it we have sort of a class system but you know we're still given at least the illusion of the idea that we can climb that social ladder yes you know eventually you know everybody's dream is to be a millionaire right at least the american dream and there's that word, dream. Uh, yeah. Again, you know. It's a little bit of a different dream than from the dream's dream. I think, yeah. you know, that's not exactly what dream stream dreamers are dreaming about. Maybe there are. I don't know. It's like, you know, there are. There's always people who show up to things like NLP workshops who their main focus is getting their career, getting that job, they're going to make a million bucks, they're going to buy a mansion and a yacht. Yes. Uh, There's still a lot of people 
who really, you know, that code is so embedded in our upbringing, I think that it's really hard to completely extract yourself. Yes. When you're presented by messages constantly <coughs> that, you know, say you have to buy the right toothpaste or whatever. Right. <laughs> succeed. Yeah. I'm kind of paraphrasing the Rolling Stones there. <laughs> Which song? Mother's Little Helper, no. <laughs> no, I'm trying, I can't remember the name. <laughs> yeah. So now what, uh, these twins, is there a characteristic that the two men share with each other that maybe you also share with them? What do you, what characteristic do you think about when you think about the twins or which different characteristics from the two different people? Um, well, interestingly, they're both artists. Um, one is much more, you know, focused on his painting and, you know, being a very strong visual artist. Um, <coughs> I think I caught your frog. I know. <laughs> I hear that. Over the computer. Um, yeah, somehow. Um, I think there's part of me that identifies with the artistic side of it. I've yes. never felt comfortable with calling myself an artist, although hey. I've done a lot of things that are artistic, mm -hmm. you know, over the years, including painting, but I've never felt comfortable with owning that title. Okay. Um, then there's probably a little bit of envy, you know, uh, inside of me around people I know who have accomplish something in the art world you know, mm. or what have you but I still find it really beautiful lately I've just been frustrated um, with you know not having any creative output mm. yeah I could see why that would be frustrating very frustrating I just saw I kind of <laughs> took a deep dive into Keanu Reeves today on YouTube and um, he was in one interview and the interviewer said, well, you know, I don't want to bring this to a shallow level, but then she said something about the way he looks and he said, there's nothing shallow about, you know, the concept of beauty and he, he said another thing, which I'm not remembering and beauty and it was, and it was like art physical, uh, like visual, nothing, there's nothing shallow about visual appreciation of beauty. And I thought that was really a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's particularly true of movies. Um, although I will say that even great cinematography can't save a bad script or bad acting. Uh, yeah, I think that was his conclusion also with the co-star of his is that it really depends on the script <laughs> yeah yeah and how the actors decide to interpret it i saw a really bad um king arthur movie and i'm not gonna even say what it was but it was a recent one <laughs> okay and it was um beautifully shot like the costuming the set design 
Yes. All of that was the lighting, really dramatic and beautiful. Yes. And was the story bad? <laughs> right. Just, like the lines are like a bunch of. Words. It really comes down to that. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? A bunch of what? Wooden marionettes. Wooden marionettes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Which is creative in its own. <laughs> But it's not exactly. Yeah, it's meant to be. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't think right. that's what they were going for. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's ironic when you actually, Keanu's been one who's been accused of being a wooden actor. Um, oh, yeah, no. Early days, particularly, I think, I recently. You ever see The Matrix? He doesn't look so wooden when he's dodging bullets. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, his. <clears throat> presentation is still not that great but Johnny Mnemonic one of the earliest films he did okay it's like so like that affect you know oh he yeah delivery anyone like <laughs> it's so bizarre like yeah he's got his uh, mystique his own mystique yeah yeah except it wasn't a mystique then I think it was really just like an experience <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, the one time that character got emotional is when he's pissed off because he's used to being a spoiled brat, you know, in high-end hotels. Yes. His shirt starched, and he's throwing a tantrum that he's down, you know, at the base of the Brooklyn Bridge with the dogs and the newspapers blowing back and forth. You know? Yeah. So. Well, I have a dream. And then a story, if I may. Please. Thank you. So I had a dream about, and I, and I, this is show and tell. So if you're just listening to the podcast, oh, cool. you won't see this, but if you're on YouTube, you will. So you see this little, little tchotchke thing. It's a, this was, this was Nana Jenny's. So that's my grandfather's mom who I'm named after, Jessica is named after Jenny. And so I've never met her, but Pop-Up Marvin's mom, Nana Jenny. And um, so I, I had a dream about that. And then when I was recording it, I was like, wait, I, I dreamed about this already twice. I dreamed about this very item already twice. And then I had a dream about this item again. And in the dream, I'm with my sister. So I keep, I keep uh, teeth that fell out, my, my son's teeth. But also I had a dog, Tovi, who when he was a puppy, he lost one of his teeth into a, a glove of mine. And I keep that in here as well. So this is for teeth, I suppose. But, um, but in my dream, it was empty, didn't, no teeth in it. And my sister was putting Himalayan pink sea salt into it so I could just you know and I thought well that was that's a good use of it as well I gotta get rid of these teeth first to put them back on the earth somewhere but um so so now as many of our listeners on the dream stream know I've been journeying uh, meditation and prayer in the liminal place between waking and sleeping and I have a whole 
thing in my active imagination that I go through. So it's the prayer cathedral at first. And as I always talk about, I'm always building it. I'm always building it more. It's changed, it changes all the time. My, and this is a little bit of an aside, but my, my newest revelation about that is that I have to set it in directions. I have to set it in the four directions and, and the metaphysical meaning of the West or of the North, or, you know, and I, in my imagination, it can't just be like linear. It doesn't feel right, just straight. It has to be, you know, we go from the Southeast, new, new beginning, myself, to the stream and then up to the paracathedral and then uh, and sending um, lavender tulips out for healing in this world. I then I walk down from there and I walk across the sand and I follow the stream of sunlight over the water. And I do that, and that's actually in the north direction. But now I'm, I just see it so differently. And then there's another beach in my imagination, too. So anyway, what I discovered after I changed the directional, I felt became very important to me that until I have it set directionally, you know, it didn't feel right. And now it feels better. And I realized that the prayer cathedral is filled with living loved ones or loved ones of friends of mine or people who just need healing and prayer right now. So that's all filled with life, those who are alive. But then when I go after I follow the sunbeam over the water and I go into this healing space that I've yet to really speak about, what I have noticed is that it started with, I really just needed my mom because that's my healing space. And as many people know, I have MS. And so I really just needed, my mom died when I was 25. So I really just needed mom in this visualization. But then I think I was speaking with you, Brendan, when I realized I just, I just want to bring my whole advising counsel of like deceased wisdom keepers and loved ones into this healing space with me. So now I was bringing everyone <laughs> into this healing space where before it was just, you know, select, a select few of deities, whatever. So then with all these dreams about this, you know, it brought my attention to Nana Jenny. And at first, you know, I don't, I, I've never met her. I don't believe I've ever even seen a picture of her. Um, I know her when she came over from um, Russia or Ukraine, I'm not sure which, um, they changed her last name to Sterling. It was something else. It was like, and they said, well, you'll be, then you will be Jennifer Sterling. That will be your your American name. And so um, we actually gave my little boy that as a middle name, Sterling, to honor Nana Jenny. Um, but so, so I, I had like, a, a, I've never really even thought about her. 
you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of things and I'm, I'm surprised that she's not been in my thoughts. So I was talking to her, you know, in my mind and we shared a joke because, so pop-up Marvin, her son was a little odd. You know, he's a very quiet man. He would, he would turn off his hearing aids and go to sleep. Like at any family occasion, you'd see, you know, you might catch him actually turning them off and then he'd be asleep. And so I had said to Nana Jenny, you know, well, you know, pop-up Marvin is a little bit odd. And she said to me, we shared such a laugh. She said to me, we, you know, you're not doing the most stellar job of raising your sons either. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> it was so funny. So we had a good laugh, right? And Jenny and I were like, seeing eye to eye. And then it occurs to me because one of my biggest issues right now with the MS is walking. I'm having trouble walking and I need lots of healing. And I, I need like, I need like a physical coach, you know, I, I've lost a few inches, you know, from, from this illness or whatever. I, am I, I don't know if I'm slouching or sinking into my hips or what. So it turns out in my imagination and I, I'll see if there's any way to confirm this or not. In my imagination, Jenny was actually quite physical. You know, she was really good at like cartwheels or, climbing trees or whatever. She was like a spunky kid. And um, so, and then I realized, well, she is bringing herself to mind. We're dreaming about this three times. She's bringing attention to herself because she can potentially help me in this healing ritual. So again, I go from like the living people in the prayer cathedral and then down up the ray of the sun and it's like deceased people. So then I brought Nana Jenny into that. And um, she was working on my spine and my back. And afterward, like this morning, so that was last night. And this morning, I felt like I, I had grown an inch. You know, I felt I see things from a different perspective now. It's an inch higher than I had been seeing things. Or, you know, even two inches higher. And, and I really... I uh, attribute that in my imagination, I have to keep saying that, to Nana Jenny. Nana Jenny, I feel like she offered her, she offered herself as coach. She offered to help me and, and she helped me amazingly. And I look forward to doing a lot more work with her in the imaginal realm. So do your muscles actually feel less tight in general? Um, um, well, it depends. My legs still feel kind of tight. Uh, in my back, I just felt like, like, I, I never, I never want to slouch. I mean, I've always been interested in like the yoga posture, the straight back, and um, I don't know. I mean, I hope I never was slouching, but I must have been. I must have been. I, I lost some inches, you know, in these past years, and afterwards, I felt like. Not now. Now I'm tired. It's it's nighttime over here in <laughs> Newport. But in the morning, I I felt like I definitely felt like I gained one or two inches. 
it was truly, and then I realized, oh, wow, the top of this stove thing is filthy. <laughs> you, know? you can see things I hadn't been seeing from a shorter height. Mm -hmm. So new sense of perspective is an interesting yes. way to put it. Um, yes. A couple of things that I was wondering about, though, is when you're moving into the prayer cathedral with the orientation now figured out, Yes. Are you traveling from east to west? I am starting in the southeast. So um, I know many different Native peoples have different uh, meanings to directions, right. but I feel like relatively they all kind of make sense with each other. And in Judaism, the south is like human being know thyself. The east as one might expect, is about new beginnings. And the West is endings. And the North is mystery. So I start in the Southeast. You know, it's not an exact science. <laughs> yeah, Starting I was wondering, like, if, you know, you were traveling sunwise. Because we traveled, yeah, yes. Uh, to me, kind of symbolizes um, traveling through time. A beautiful, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're right about there are so many cultures that use coordinates yes. in, their, in their cosmology. Um, yes. And it does vary the associations between the directions, you know, like, you know, the Western chromatic tradition, I think, actually draws heavily from the Kabbalah. And yes. What you're talking about. So, you know, with East being the beginnings, West being endings, or you know, the East being the place of wind and the West being the waters. Mm. Um, and you find that echoed in a lot of the mythologies mm. in the Western world as well. Um, but I think like it's really insightful that you came to the conclusion that you needed to orient yourself in space. Yes in this cathedral um, because having a sense of place is really important and it's where you are in relation to the world really um, you know and shamanic cultures not only do you have the four directions you also have up and down above and within also yep. Or within, yes, and yeah. Above, below, within. Yeah. Um, and the, the shamans who are consciously working with that sort of model of the universe um, travel with intention to the different coordinates of the cosmos to do different things. Um, so knowing where you are is vitally important when you're navigating, you know, the dream world or, you know, the astral, whatever you want to call it. Um, yes. Knowing one's place in the universe. Yes. <clears throat> um, knowing how to retrace my steps because it's a continuous, um, you know, continuous prayer in a way. It's like I, I it's every evening. It's so, so I go from the southeast, then um, the prayer cathedral is towards the west, northwest, 
And then um, when I cross the sea and do the whole healing thing, that's the north. So, and then that's also a place of mystery. And that's where my deceased, well, before I had God as my healer, but I felt like no one may see the face of God and live. So I felt like, well, God needs to be working through someone, possibly. And so first I chose King David because the lovely poet, you know, I love him. <laughs> and then, um, and no, oh, I might have chosen Moses first. I, I probably first chose Moses. And then I was like, oh, maybe King David is a better fit. I don't know. But, um, and then I had like, I, I wanted Jesus in my healing imaginal realm. And, um, but I felt like everybody's always saying in the name of Jesus. Well, I feel like there's a lot of not so great stuff that's happened in the name of Jesus. And so, um, so I was like, well, who is this to me? You know, I'm a Jewish girl growing up in America, largely Christian nation. Who is this to me? And I realized, well, it's Rabbi Jesus, right? So, so I started calling, what's that? Yeshua ben Yosef. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, but, uh, so Rabbi Jesus, so I started calling him Raj, R-A-J, Rabbi Jesus. Oh. And so Raj is often in the healing. And, um, and um, I also have a guide who's appeared in many dreams of mine before that also helps me in the healing place. But um, yeah, it's neat to have now my whole council in there as, as um, regulars of the Dream Stream podcast may know, I, before I started on this incredible, um, you know, creative, imaginative, quest, I, I first started with having a council of people who could help me, who I could call upon and help me in this life. So I felt like I needed more allies or I needed to be clear of who some of these allies may be. So I, I, I had a whole imaginative council and, um, but, but it's only since realizing I need mom and having her that I, that I realized I actually need the whole council. So it's quite, quite awesome to bring the council into this healing space. And now Nana Jenny wants to come too, I imagine, because what, what else? I mean, three times I dream of this and, and really my, well, aside from the teeth. So that's a whole other association and what missing teeth means and, and growth and whatnot, but um, it just reminds me of the woman who it used to belong to. So uh, to me, that means she's asking to come in to this healing space also. So, um, so now that the place of the ancestors is in the north, right? Yes. Where you have it? Is she coming from that direction in your dream? Does she come out of the shadows of the mystery? She's coming from behind she's coming almost from well that's interesting because then I manifest after I go through this whole process the prayers the healing and then I start the manifesting what am I manifesting and in a way she's coming from that area of my 
imagination of my manifest place. So I don't know. What does that mean to you, manifesting? Um, well, I've been listening to a lot of YouTube, um, watching a lot of YouTube, uh, you know, videos about Neville Goddard. Neville Goddard, and he and he's talking about, you know, we if we picture something is already done, it's done, and then it's only a matter of time until. So and it's he he often speaks about the secret. I have a feeling that the women who put together the book The Secret did it on the basis of his teachings. Is my feeling oh, yeah. definitely and, influenced by his? Yeah. Work, oh yeah. yeah. Uh huh. I draw from a lot of sources, but I mm -hmm. recently heard one of his lectures, and I was like, hmm, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. A lot exactly. Of stuff in his stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so after, you know, I feel like you can't pray for yourself until, or you can't, not you can't, no, no such thing as can, can't, should, shouldn't, whatever. But I felt I couldn't uh, start visualizing a healing, healing realm for myself until after. I prayed for others. So not you shouldn't, you nothing, me. Me felt that I have no right to work for my own healing if I don't first extend any bit of healing I might be able to offer to those who may need it. So is Jenny um praying for you specifically in the case where she heals you or she's in a way she's she's giving me physical therapy in a way she's like um you know because again like the back and the legs you know strong enough to walk and uh straight back and um and I just have a sense that she really had a sense of her physical body I don't know if she was a dancer. I don't know if oh. she did gymnastics. I mean, this is all before marriage that I'm picturing her as a young woman, a young, an older so kid. That you know about her from other family members? I don't know anything about her. Okay, so this is just sort of how you envision her as being a very physical person. Yeah, I wonder. I'd like to... Dynamic in the world. I'd like to see if there's any... Anything that might back that up, I'll ask my mom's sister yeah, who's still curious. living. That'd be interesting to know. Yes. But she's come to symbolize that for you, obviously. Yeah, well, I, I she and she didn't until I was dreaming three times of this relic of hers. And then I was like, okay, she's trying to call my attention. And then I had, you know, I'm always working on this visualization. And then I realized, oh, well, it must be a part of this. And so you know, we're, we're trying out. She's in training. <laughs> She's in training in my healing space. And, and so far, so good. <laughs> so the other thing that I wanted to ask about was the Himalayan sea salt. What is yeah. that to you? Wow, I know. It's like, well, in a way, we use salt to purify something. Like if we put crystals in salt, it kind of, it's like saging in a way. It's 
it's, it's like clears the air, it clears the stone, you're ready for what one might imbue on it themselves. Um, so that's one. Like a salt lamp, and do you use it at all? A salt lamp? A salt lamp, yeah. They sell uh, pink Himalayan salt crystals oh. with electric lights in them or candles in them, which is supposed to activate them. I just wondered like what your experience personally with pink Himalayan sea salt is. Tastes so good. <laughs> my experience of you my- using in food. I do. Okay. I use it in food. Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the extent of any, I mean, maybe I have more unconscious um, uh, connections with Himalayan sea salt, but I was never, I never climbed the Himalayas. I've never really been to Nepal. I've never been to Nepal or you know, Tibet, anywhere like that. And um, do you associate it with, um, I don't know, I mean, you know, the quintessential image of the, you know, yogi on top of a mountain really comes from the whole idea that the, you know, that that's place people go for enlightenment. But do you personally feel a connection to that story at all? And like, you know. Sure, yeah, of course, not of course, but yes. Yeah, I'm thinking right now, um, because it's Himalayan sea salt, right? right? So, so, and I'm thinking many of the spaces in my imaginal realm, not many, but two different spaces are, are beaches. And it turns out they're both, they both are on opposite sides of like, where the sun is, you know, there's one beach facing this way, there's one beach facing that way. And that was surprising to me. I didn't realize that was like the same picture. It was just extended view of that picture. Yeah. So the beaches, are they on opposite sides of the cathedral? Um, they're not, um, what, uh, one of the beaches is when I first come down from the cathedral, I'm at a beach. And there's a whole thing with the sun and the sunlight. And then um, the manifesting beach seems to be after the expanse of water. And then there's a beach and then there's this whole manifesting area in my imagination. So. Um, the thing that popped in my, in my mind when you originally were talking about the vessel and the, you know, what you're storing it in are kind of like objects that are related to memory of the past. Huh. You know, you've got your small children's teeth plus you know, an animal that was very, very devoted to you, who was kind of like, you know, a familiar almost to you in yes, a yes. lot of ways. Um, and the Mac, you know, microcosm of that is contained in that vessel. <clears throat> So I guess I'm wondering, what does it mean to, I mean, does your sister empty the teeth out in the dream or is it totally empty it's already? It's empty already. 
Okay. And she's putting in the sea salt for what reason? Uh, just to keep it on the table or take a little pinch of salt to add to your food. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That was so my thinking. To nourish yourself. Yes. Oh, I like that. As well, which is associated with memory and the past. Yes. And putting something in it that has a property which, you know, if it were my dream based on what you're saying, it's like you're purifying your food. Yes. So almost like something that's associated with this essence of memory. Um, purifying it before taking it into the vessel of my body. Yeah. Yeah. And Love it. Somehow healing. And yes. it's interesting to have that lead into um, the connection with Jenny. <clears throat> Is your <clears throat> sister, does your sister encounter Jenny at all? No, Jenny, Jenny, my sister was born, I think, also after Jenny passed on. No, but I mean, in the dream, is there any in there? Oh, no, I just say, oh, this was down in Jenny's. And she's like, oh, okay. But um, not, I don't think she, well, none of Jenny's not in these dreams. These dreams bring me to the idea that none of Jenny's trying to get my attention. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, she's in my um, imagination. Got it. So in the imaginal cathedral. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And but not in the living prayer cathedral, in the healing space with other deceased loved ones. The place of the ancestors in the north. And deities, yes. So the dream to you is a to incorporate her. Yes, that's what it felt like to me. So in the dream, what, I mean, other than the bit about the container, um, you said there were two dreams that had the container? I'm pretty sure because one night I dreamed about this container and I woke up and I was like, wait, I've dreamed about that before. So I had dreamed of it twice before the dream that my sister puts the pink sea salt into it. And what happened in the other dreams or? Really nothing memorable. Just, just the, and the, the, like, so, okay, here's what's different. In the first two dreams, it's a, it's a closed box like this. And then in the dream where my sister is putting sea salt in it, it's an open box like this, an empty. Hmm. There's some gnarly looking teeth in there. <laughs> My sister was so funny because I spoke with her on the phone and she said, oh, I just, I just threw away all the kids' teeth. And I'm like, oh. what, you don't think? I said, what, I can't, I can't keep them along with the rat's tails and possum claws I have hanging? And she honestly didn't know. She didn't want to like naysay that because she didn't want to judge me because she wasn't sure. And that actually, when I was thinking about it, it's not that far fetched. <laughs> I have friends who have some unusual things like that. 
All I have is feathers and children's teeth. Oh, and I have a turtle's shell. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, it's funny that um, trying to remember where I read it, I'd like to find the reference again, but it was talking about um, different neurodivergent types. And one of the traits that they were talking about was collecting natural uh -huh. objects like, you know, feathers, bones, rocks, rocks and all yes. that stuff. And Shells. I think you and I, between us, just yeah. a lot of the people around the Center for Symbolic Studies. Yes. You know, a slew of people who do this. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like a common trait. It's really funny. Right. It's yeah. what binds us. <laughs> it's one of those odd things, you know. Whatever that it's really true. Trait is, but, and I've known little kids to do it. And some people, some people do it as little kids and then don't do it as adults anymore. It's very Waldorf kindergarten. You know, I'm a Waldorf kindergarten teacher and we have, we often have, you know, nature table with different yeah. things, a feather, a, you know, blue jay feather, whatever, rocks and whatnot. I have to say when I moved into this house in New Paltz, one of the first things I fell in love about it, it's um, the steps are in such a way that there's a railway tie and then stones and then a railway tie and then stone. So you can walk from railway tie to railway tie. And I used to do that as my like physical therapy. Um, but, but when I realized all these beautiful rocks and I felt at last there is a place I can free my rock collection that I've been collecting, you know, all the years of my travels over the years, I could at last like put my rocks back on the earth. And they can have, you know, whatever good juju for me living in the house. Yeah, they <laughs> or for whomever. The fabric of the landscape. And that's interesting because, again, that's like something I would associate with the concept of memory, like right. the teeth in the jar. Um, yes. And you're making it part of this larger pattern by putting them into the landscape. <laughs> uh, that you're living on that your feet are on every day but um the one thing i think is really interesting about the dream is that the vessel itself like is such a symbol um and it symbolizes a, a whole other person <clears throat> and almost symbolizes healing in and of itself huh like is was there an emotional reaction in any of the dreams that you had to seeing the vessel um it was it was more like nostalgia and and not so much about nana jenny but about myself as a child when i was first given this relic from my parents you know, it had originally belonged to Anna Jenny, and then they ended up giving it to me, her namesake. So I had mentioned that she's my namesake. Yeah, so it's interesting to me that the theme of memory, there it is again. Yes, know, yes. Connecting it with mm -hmm. nostalgia, and it's almost like a container for that. Um, and then purifying that with the salt. 
it's like a transmutation like salt is you know another you know thing that if it were my dream i'd be probably associating it with um the alchemical yes. salt um not necessarily you know table salt um yes. but salt that helps the transformation yes and <clears throat> it's interesting <clears throat> Jenny comes from the place of the ancestors in your cathedral, which you have as north, which is associated with earth in the Western Hermetic tradition. Okay. Um, Interesting. And salt is one of those things that symbolizes. Yes. It's crystalline. It actually, even though, you know, it originates from the ocean or is mostly harvested. Right. Yes. From the ocean. Yes. You know. In a lot of cases, sea salt is. Um, Himalayan salt is actually mined, I guess. It's probably... Like rock salt? Yeah, it's like... Um, well, it, they call it rock salt because of the shape, because that's all manufactured. That oh, stuff. yes. But I think, like, the Himalayan salt's actually leftover deposits from an ancient ocean um, that evaporated and left the salt with the various mineral impurities that give it its color yes magnesium and i don't know what else um, mm. so and to me there's an association with the idea of elemental earth element now i'm thinking from from salt came lithium and that was really the salt of the earth and um so maybe there's something in that in my psyche. My sister's putting the, you know, uh, help me stay grounded. <laughs> That's what I was saying last time. I was like, I hope I don't get too out there because of all the work I'm doing in the imaginal realm. And um, so maybe my sister was like trying to help me treat for delusions, right? I don't want to have delusions. I just want to have pure thought but I also want to go further than we Westerners know that we can go in our imaginations. Yeah, I so I mean, uncover something that we hadn't yet dealt with or think, knew about. I think of the idea of earth as being like related to the idea of grounding, like, yes, you know, rooting oneself, like mountains have roots. They don't move. Uh, oh, yeah, and that's that, so interesting and, that you just said that. Yeah, and and Jenny's like trying to get you connecting to the physical, like so. There's all these layers yes. of the idea of the physical realm, even the idea of manifesting, because when you manifest something, you take it from an idea. You yes, know, you get a physical <clears throat> or experiential reality in the 3D, you know, physical world we all inhabit. Yes. So, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. It seems like there's this transformation happening that's trying to gently push you, you know, from the idea of just memory. Yes. But into a physicality. Um, and maybe it's a memory of movement your body. Uh, body memory. Yeah, your body. I love that. To remember how to move. Exactly. 
Exactly. Wow. Really intense. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, you're welcome. One other thing I discovered in my meditation of um, visualization. So it's always been that I sit down next to a living teacher of mine, Anna Breitenbach, and she stands up a rock and I take three breaths and how this is described is um, Ruach HaKadash in, in, a, in a book of Jewish Kabbalistic thought. It's Ruach, which is our breath or our soul. Um, HaKadosh, it's the holy breath. So it's the holy breath. So I know this is a big thing, of course, in the East is our breath. And um, what I realized is it's, it's not just enough to fill up my lungs. Like I realized beyond filling up one's lungs is expanding the, the heart realm, the, the, the chest or the ribs or whatever. But when you take a deep breath, starts, you know, fills up your lungs, but then what? You go even further and open up your chest. And that's one other thing I'm realizing in this, uh, in this prayer is that, uh, that that can happen and that needs to happen to open me up enough to be able to pray for others and myself. You're reminding me of something um, yoga teacher Ami actually um, talked about once during a class where she was talking about the concept in Sanskrit, they call it Shri. Um, where it's an expansion of the heart cavity and you do these postures which are opening the chest cavity yes um, and expanding your lungs and yes filling your it it's like the energy wants to go there beyond the lungs your breath beyond the lungs and into the heart and expanding out beautiful partially how you connect yes you know, yes. empathic living world. And like, you know, when you're, when your heart is hurt, um, people tend to physically change their posture to guard themselves and yeah. slouching, you know, is one right. of those things that's unconscious that we do this, um, but we're setting ourselves in our timeline, you know, or orienting ourselves inward and we're crunching ourselves down and making yes. sure we don't experience any blows um, yeah. whereas standing like open you know exposed posture is yes vulnerable but it shows bravery absolutely allowing that vulnerability i agree and i think like energetically you know yes changing your posture changing your breath it actually <clears throat> really changing their form. Yeah, it changes everything. It can, you know, sometimes it takes time to get to that space. <clears throat> but, you know, I find when I've done breath work of any kind like that, once I'm able to relax enough into it, that expansion just happens on its own. Like mm -hmm. if, if you get to that place. Yes, yes. 
I noticed it because, you know, when I do my three breaths before walking, you know, chanting and going into the prayer cathedral, um, but, and then, you know, they're, they're not as deep as I wish they could be. And then, you know, when I'm just in my head and going through the visualization, every now and then I take like a gulp of air and it, it was like a bigger gulp of air than I had been trying to take as part of the meditation. And then I realized, oh, this is the opening breath. This is Ruach HaKodesh. This is it. This is, you know, widening the chest. And that's, that's uh, also wasn't planned or even consciously brought on. It just happened. It just happened spontaneously. And then I learned, oh, yes, that's what I'm, that's what I'm not getting in my conscious or like visualization. And that's what I need to strive to get before I enter the prayer cathedral. So um, this is something I know nothing about. Um, in Jewish prayer tradition, do they do like intonation of holy words like that when when you're praying? Um, there are parts of prayer that that do that and then there's also um teachings about how every permutation of yud he vav he which is how people get yahweh or yehovah jehovah um every permutation of those four letters yud he vav and he those three letters <laughs> hey twice um used to be said all together um during one of the high priests um prayer vigils or services or whatever and um but i but we are not supposed to know how to do that anymore you know that that's not uh current knowledge apparently current but knowledge of the human race or of the way to turn around the letters to symbolize god i don't know it's like not sure not sure. I mean, I think that's what it is. We just don't remember the teaching. We don't remember the different ways the letters went together. So in other words, how to pronounce the unpronounceable name. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I, mean, I know from my exposure to the Kabbalah, um, in some systems, they actually attribute the four letters to the directions as well. So again, oh, yeah, coming back full circle. Really, <laughs> no. I want to learn more about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yes. So, well, thank you so much, Brendan. I'm so glad to unpack that with you. It seems so significant. You know, anything with our ancestors. Oh, wait, who said this? Okay, so yeah, I admit it. I already spend a lot of time on YouTube. Um, okay, let me think of who said this. Well, I'm not remembering exactly, but go on. If you can recall exactly where you just were, that had triggered it. Oh. Um, we were talking about the permutation of the letters. Yeah, I mean, there are some practices where you actually um, intone 
the okay. letters. Um, yes. There's actually a tradition that's called the Kabbalistic cross, huh. um, where you intone <clears throat> the Yod Hey Vow Hey. Yes. Part of forming this cross of light in your body. Um, and it's associated with the Kabbalistic tree of life as well. So, yes, yes. You know, you have above and below, you know, which yes. they say, you know, Malkuth and Kether and Kether and Malkuth, yes. you know, you have the highest reflected in the lowest and the lowest is reflected in the highest. Uh, nice. Yeah, now I'm wondering, I don't, I'm not remembering, I was so excited to share a teaching that someone had said that I just saw on YouTube. I'm not remembering what it was. If if you trigger it, at two in the morning, it'll pop in your head. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it'll do it in the next dream stream yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, that not that imaginal realm work has been so rich for me because I really feel like, you know, where we've we've already mapped the whole earth. And now we're learning more about the stars and the heavens and we're mapping that and the bottoms of the oceans, we're mapping that. We, we, you know, we really want to get a sense. And I feel like one of the last explored vestiges is the imagination. And it is such a significant gift that we all have, you know, and I'm, it's constantly changing for me you know and and evolving it's constantly evolving and i and i feel like that's a real gift for all of us humans that we have our imagination to to explore and learn more about yeah and i i would really say that you know once we you know we haven't really even <clears throat> gotten to really scratch the surface of the physical universe, right. but we've very much ignored the inner universe that right. we all carry within us. Yes. Um, I know when <clears throat> I've been in that liminal state uh, between dream and wake where it really feels limitless, like yes. the permutations of things that my mind can come up with, Right. I'm like, where does this stuff come from? Yes. No idea. And, you know, it seems like it's infinite, like the possibilities of what, you know, the human brain is capable of. There are only limitations. Our only limitations are what we haven't thought of yet. You know, we're not thinking about what we haven't thought of that I can be as creative in my visualization as as I am, but it limits me if I can't go beyond that. Yeah. And I feel a little limited. I need to, now I need to really st start manifesting. And I think I haven't been paying enough attention to that part of this journey. I've been paying more attention to, you know, the two stations or three stations, but um, the manifesting, it's not yet realized in me, but when it is, I believe that I will heal. I will heal completely from multiple sclerosis. And I don't know what that will look like, 
I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think it sounds like Jenny, you know, is, you know, sort of the figure to help guide you there. Yes. Whatever yes. It is that she symbolizes to you. Hmm. Yeah, I've got to learn more about her. Maybe yeah, she, like maybe she was a journaler. What did she write in her journals? You know, like, yeah. I mean, because this would have been if my grandmother, who's married to her son, was born in 1919. So he was born in like, whatever, 1918, 16. Um, so then we go 20 years before that. So 1880s, yeah. So Jenny lived in the 1880s. Yes. Did she come over to the yes. States or in that? Okay. So and it was at Ellis Island. Sorry. No, I was going to say that, you know, I've seen a lot of the stuff recently on, um, oh God, what is that show called? Uh, um, Finding Your Roots, where you know, they've done a lot of celebrities or whatnot who have yes. roots. And there was a big wave of immigration in the 1880s from, you know, what's referred to as the the pale of settlement. Jewish um, diaspora. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this is um, from Ellis Island. My cousin's son had gone, you know, Statue of Liberty Island, Ellis Island, and he found Jenny Sterling's name, you know, engraved there. And he oh, took wow. a picture and it's on this. And I keep this. So what was her, do you know what her name was before she? I think it was uh, like something like Scourge or like, something like heavy Eastern European, like, uh, and, and, and the guys at Ellis Island supposedly thought that it was kind of not a great name for a beautiful young woman. So they named her Jenny Sterling. And as I said, now my son Alexander has Sterling as middle name because I love it. Yeah. One of the things they mentioned on that show on Finding Your Roots is that 90% of those stories about the, you know, the immigration officials changing people's names because yes. they sounded like something else is total bunk. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not trying to rain on the parade, but like, <laughs> who was it? Um, comedian named Block or Black. Okay. Uh, you know, they were thinking, oh, well, you know, your Jewish ancestry, your family name was probably Schwartz. You know, in German Jewish. No, actually, it wasn't. It was literally like something like Blauch, which, you know, <laughs> it just became black. Yeah, you know, right. Right. Because it's a different language. There's different sounds, different letters, and different languages that don't translate directly. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I just thought it was so funny, Brendan. Yeah, because I love. I love parenting. I love being a mom. My older son's 24. My little guy's 11. And I, we just shared such a laugh, Nana, Jenny, and I, because truly Papa Barvin was a little odd. He really was. So much so, in fact, that whenever I was a really little girl and he would come over, I would hide under the pool table. We had a pool table in the living room. I would hide under the pool table. So I just, he was a little odd. I just, and uh, so I said to her, 
this. Well, you know, Papa Marvin was always a little odd. And she was like, yeah, you know, you're not the most stellar mom either. <laughs> and oh I was God. just so glad someone could say that to me. And we could both laugh about it because we all, we all do our best, I hope, yeah. you know. <laughs> At least I can laugh at myself, <laughs> if nothing else. Oh, well, we yes. have to have a sense of humor. We have to have a sense of humor. It's true. Steiner, Rudolf Steiner, always taught that this is why in these big Renaissance paintings of like the baby Jesus and Mary, that there'll be two little cherubs at the bottom, like laughing or smiling. It's like to keep the humor, like humor will get us through the hardships of our lives. That's interesting. I never would have thought of that before because it's, yeah, to me, I mean, the cherubs, it's kind of funny that they would actually even be in paintings of, you know, Jesus and Mary or whatever, yeah. you know, because they're really like these pagan Roman yeah you know of cupid you know, yes been, like made to this cutesy angelic being but you know cupid <laughs> in the greek myths is no joke at all i mean it's sort of funny that he does <laughs> when he's like getting somebody with his arrow but you know usually the consequences are kind of <laughs> like you know sometimes dire like you fall in love with the wrong person Cupid is not playing. No, he don't play. He don't play. <laughs> Love can be harsh. Yeah. So, yes. yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for your wisdom, yeah. Brendan. Happy and I will do it again really soon. All right. Why don't talk right. more about lucid dreams next time if we can get up a few? I'm going to find that book got to start writing yours down again because you hadn't yeah, been definitely need to i was giving this um reminder advice in my dream group which is when we can't remember our dreams often if we switch positions in our bed before we get up like to the position that i was actually in when i dreamed it like i'll have more um memory of it i'll have more recall so like if I'm trying to, what was that dream? What was that dream? And then I roll again over to this side. It's like, oh yeah, it's the same thing as, you know, when you're leaving a room to go and get something, but then you forget what it was that you were coming to get. You Often if I go back, started. if I go back to that same space where it first had occurred to me, what I was going to get, I'll say, oh yeah. And I'll remember it's similar to that. I don't know if your memory works like that, but also it's like a spatial thing. Yeah, muscle me. memory. And that's, you know, again, that back to the whole coordinate thing, like um, in NLP, we talked about how people have timelines unconsciously <clears throat> and you can kind of tell where people are in their thought process um, based on their physical orientation in space, um, mm. you know, doing an induction. Um, someone who's leaning forward is typically thinking about the future, 
Whereas someone whose posture or idea of themselves in space is backwards, yes. is stuck on something in the past. Yes. Uh, you know, very much. And I think the left and right have correspondences too. That comes, mm -hmm. uh, God, I forget what the study is called, where they talk about different eye positions. Um, oh, interesting. Where yes. you actually look up and out when you're trying to remember something. And when you put yeah. down when you're trying to, you know, yes, something that's more of an emotional. I really see that when I watch old episodes or older episodes of the Dreamstream podcast. If I'm trying to recall something, I'm like <laughs> looking, I don't know where, you know, up in one direction. And I see that with the people I'm speaking with, that there's, it is really connected with our eyes and our vision. Yeah, well, I mean, because most people experience dreams as a visual thing. Yeah, um, yes. It's very rare for me for smells to come into dreams, although right. they do. Yes. <coughs> and um, yeah, the I, in, yeah, in my visualization, it was because of your uh, guidance that I started hearing the stream listen to the streams, the babbling brook, listen to the stream. But uh, before I get to the stream where I put my water, my feet in the water and I hear the stream, I'm first in like a Colorado uh, field of wildflowers. And I, it's so dry and I can smell pine needles. And so I, I bring smell into that. And then I bring sound into the next part and I don't think I taste anything yet. <laughs> you know, I'll have to get some good chocolate in my manifesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm manifesting, yeah. sure. I mean, but, I think any type of visualization work where you can bring in multiple senses mm -hmm. into the experience, it strengthens it. Definitely. Definitely. More, much more real. Yes. And that's Goddard. That's this whole thing is like in manifesting something bring the senses into it, you know, and, and that's working hard doing all of this. Yeah, you, you uh, hear the lecture about him and his discharge from the army? I don't believe I did actually. Yeah, he basically like visualized himself over and over again, walking into the room to talk to the Colonel about getting an honorary, an honorable discharge. Yeah. You know? A whole bunch of times before he actually just did it and he knew in his heart that it was going to happen this way because yes. he sort of gone through the motions already yes like yes you know helped i guess you know it's sort of what i think uh they call pre-paving um yeah abraham hicks world where right. you, know, you go out to do something in a day and you, you know, let's say you're going to a job interview and you kind of like visualize like how your day is going to start, yes. you know, by what the coffee you taste like, you know, mm. is going to taste like and you know, what your drive there is going to be like. And yes. Car, what does that feel like? Right. In that office with your suit, you know. Yes. How does that feel like going yes. every little step, you know, to make it as real as possible. Yes. And, you know. The energy, the ideas, I guess, that energetically you're laying the path 
for this all to happen in that way. Yes, absolutely. And I and I I'm trying that that's manifesting. I mean, I have friends who are, you know, queen manifestors. <laughs> I have two different friends, both women who manifested a car each. You know, I had one friend who manifested a great job, even though she never went to college. She, in the business world, a she manifested this incredible job and it didn't matter that she hadn't gone to college. You know, I mean, I there's some very powerful people who can work with their, you know, their, I don't want to say desires, but you know what I mean? Like that can work with their, wants and then manifest the outcome so that's what i'm going for <laughs> yeah i mean i think it goes beyond desire um yeah some people would say it has to do with you know being in alignment with what source wants yes. to do yes and that if you feel like you are lined up with source there's really nothing that right. can stop you right yeah so much untapped magic involved with being human. Yeah, I mean, you know, about everyday life is magical. When people yeah. don't make the connection. We want to think of magic as being something extraordinary, but magic happens every day. Like everything yeah. we do, everything that we put out into the world is an act of magic. Yes, like yes. We're transforming the world by, by living in it. <clears throat> with every single thing we do every in our excuse me <clears throat> every interaction yes yes it's really true my one of my teachers of kabbalah he's also like a talmud hacham and like a he speaks aramaic and he grew up in brooklyn in a hasidic um home or maybe not hasidic but like Mitzrayim, like not Mitzrayim, um, not Hasidic. There's another uh, uh, stream of very orthodox, orthodox Jewry who are not necessarily Hasidic. What did you say? Is it Lubavitch? The Lubavitch. No, that's also like Hasidic. Okay. But um, but he um, he has a book. He lives. I don't know if he's back in New Mexico or in California now. Gershon Winkler is his name. He wrote a book called The Magic in the Ordinary. And it's about like everyday shamanism mm -hmm. and in our lives. Really, really great book. I highly recommend it. Sounds like, yeah, I'll probably ask you about that later. I put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else to say, Brendan? Um, no, nothing, <clears throat> nothing coming to me right now. <clears throat> I gotta get rid of this. <laughs> have tea with honey. Honey yeah, will help you. I don't do honey, unfortunately, but definitely. Oh, tea. oh, because the sugar. Right. Okay. Uh, what do you usually do for sore throat or a cough? Um, don't have a sore throat. I've got um, I've got, got slippery elm, which I use for yeah. sore throat. But I love that. Ginger. Yes. Mint. Yeah. Got mint tea now. I'm very happy about that. Wonderful. Okay. 
take good care of yourself. You too. Thank you. you Hi, Dreamstream listeners. And to our so listeners I just to the Dreamstream podcast, that I was trying thank to you for joining us. And we bid you sweet dreams. I was listening for the to mode a Michigan. podcast called Renegades, born in the USA, which is Bruce Springsteen with President Obama. And it's a great, a great conversation they have. And at one point, Bruce Springsteen says, Turn your ghosts into your ancestors. And I thought that was wonderful advice. You know, take, take the spooky things from the past and turn that into our allies, our ancestors. So that was it. Okay, have a great day, everyone. Ciao.